Here's my message for you. Please don't cop a tood. Now, you're sitting there thinking, but Pastor Bob, what did I do wrong? Well, you just wait. I'm going to, no. <laughs> there are many types of toods. I don't know how much you've ever researched this, but you know, I like research and I like uh, knowing where I am. So I found that there are many, many types of toods. According to our modern-day English dictionary, and you can check any one you want, Webster, Merriam-Webster, any of the well-known dictionaries, there is altitude, there is amplitude, there is aptitude, there is beatitude, there is certitude, there is fortitude, there is gratitude, there is latitude, there is longitude, longitude, there is magnitude, there is multitude, there is platitude, there is servitude, there is vicissitude. That's a storm, stormy situation, the vicissitudes of life. Plus, there are about 15 or 20 more if you really go through your dictionary. Well, to cop an attitude, which is a popular idiom, or to cop a tood, as parents say when they're, they just want to get the message to someone, it actually means to show that one believes he or she is more important or better than other people. By behaving in a rude or unpleasant way towards other people. Copitude, one dictionary says, means to get an attitude, to get angry and confrontational, or to get sassy. Also, accompanied with unmannerly or downright obnoxious actions and speech. So I want to boil it down for our consideration today. Let's just say that when relationship, uh, when, when the term copitude uh, uh, is used in relationship uh, conversations, it really relates to none of those aforementioned 15 or so tudes, but it always, always relates to attitude. It's a word we hear a lot of today. People use it in various uh, forms and for various reasons. Let me tell you this. Let me start by telling you something that's fact. Life is but a battle of attitudes. Uh, and I'm not talking about external things here. I'm talking about internal, for you and for me. Life is but a battle of attitudes, mostly between pessimism on the one hand and optimism on the other. Now, had you turned to Proverbs 15 for a reason, because I want to read, and if you'd like to read along with me, I mean, I'm, I'm more then welcome that. I just, I just get thrilled when I hear you reading with me. So we're going to go into a couple of verses in Proverbs 15. And uh, the first verse is verse 13 of Proverbs 15. A happy heart makes a face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. Now you're telling on yourself, because some of you don't have a very happy heart right now. Because if you did, it would make the face cheerful. And I say to people, how are you doing? They say, oh, good. And I say, well, notify your face. (laughs) 
And then in the 15th chapter of Proverbs, down two verses into verse 15, let's read this together. All the days of the oppressed are wretched. Ooh, that's a word for you. But the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Who wouldn't want to be at a continual feast? Amen. And then you just flip the page and go into Proverbs 17. And verse 22 reads like this. And if it's there, you read it with me. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Let's pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we need you this morning. We're here today because we come with hungry hearts. And Lord, we want our spirits to be open and our minds to be free to take in what you have for us. So we ask for you, Lord, to, uh, to instill in us this need to have a happy heart. We ask you to inspire us with your word. We ask you to ignite us by your Holy Spirit to take what we learn and to put it into action and to be the people of God that you call us to be. And for all of this and for all of your many blessings, we'll be very careful to give you praise for we pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. So let's pause right here. Let's define these words by walking through a little bit of information. The two words are pessimism and optimism. Now, if I were to ask, which are you? I mean, 90% of people are going to say they're an optimist because they don't want to be thought of as a pessimist, even if they are one. And what I'll do here is ask you a question. You don't have to answer audibly. Matter of fact, it might be better for you and for me if you didn't answer audibly, but a question or two or three or ten, whatever, for your heart and your mind to kind of get us started. So my very first question is, are you a pessimist? Uh, I could put it in a lot of different ways, so let me try a few. Are you a fault finder? Do you give more criticism than you do praise? Are you just inclined to accept the worst, the worst outcome that, that could happen? In any given situation, do you kind of find yourself emphasizing the adverse? Do you actually believe in a doctor and that reality is bad and bad overbalances happiness in life? So no matter what, no matter how hard I try, no matter what good comes, it's all bad, and I'm just not ever going to be made happy. Let me ask you a couple more questions along this line. Is everyone picking on you and on yours? I love this one. So is life not fair? Then I ask you this. Then where is your hope? If I were to say how many of you ever saw, or maybe you invite and maybe you feed, a little bird called a hummingbird, most of you would be familiar. Yes? No? Yes. And if I said, who's ever seen a vulture? Most of you would say, in one form or another, yes. Well, you see them in this part of the country, but out on the desert part of our nation, 
Both of these birds exist, and they just almost continually fly over the earth. Now, all that vultures see is rotting meat because that's what they look for. They thrive on that diet. That's their continual feast. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals, and instead they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. You see, the vultures live on what was. (laughs) They live on the past. They fill themselves with, with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds live on what is. They seek new life. They fill themselves with freshness and good and life. You see, here's the key. Each of those birds finds what it is looking for. We all do. We all do. Are you an optimist, maybe? Do you look at the positive and praise others? Do you have daily joy in your life? Yeah, but you... No, no, just answer the question. Do you have daily joy in your life? J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. Do you anticipate the best possible outcome? No matter what, the outcome will be the best it can possibly be. Do you grow what we call hopeful attitudes? Or do you just stay stuck in that old tood? (laughs) When I hear about the optimists, and just no matter what, just always seeking and thinking about and looking for the best possible outcome, I'm reminded of the story of the optimist that jumped off a skyscraper. At the 50th floor, someone opened the window and yelled out, How's it going? The man yelled back, So far, so good. That's an optimist. Here's one attitude difference. The optimist sees the donut. The pessimist sees the hole. Pessimism, when you get used to it, and that's the problem, We immerse ourselves in it so long that we can't swim, scratch, or dig our way out of it. Pessimism, when you get used to it and you let it have its way, you know it's just as agreeable to you as optimism. You get just as comfortable with pessimism as you do or would with optimism. The pessimist says the optimist doesn't have much experience. So the optimist doesn't understand. Or the optimist has never been through this. That's a real cop-out. So today I want to thank God for how good He's been to me for all my years. And I want to thank His Son for watching over my family in a special way and every day. I just thank God for that watch care and that, that, that assurance and that confidence. When we have no hope, listen, there's always grace. When we have no hope, there's always grace. When we have no hope, there's always grace. 
But the, fes- the pessimist fails to see or to find grace. That's the sad part. You see, the pessimist looks at things, or even as people, as if he or she were the judge. And in his pride, the pessimist builds up the negative, and that negative takes terrible root in that life. Sometimes very hard to break. Sometimes almost impossible to uproot. However, the optimist knows this. Good, bad, and indifferent, we all have bad days. True fact, we all have faults. Amen? Listen, and we all need love. And we all need understanding. And we all need encouragement. Amen. Hello. Hello. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his love. Thank God for his grace. We need to spend more time understanding than trying to understand or be understood. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that he withdraws from us when we come to him. He withdraws from us that which was owing to us in payment for our sin. That's mercy. Not giving us what we deserve. And thank God not only for mercy, but also for grace, because grace is God giving to us what we could never deserve. That's salvation. Amen? Look, Jesus loves me even when I don't. Some of you need to write that down, maybe in the flyleaf of your Bible. Jesus loves me, even if I don't. Dear friends, listen. Don't forget, God is constantly watching over you. I'll say over you and yours. He said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. You know, there's a plan. You know, there's a plan in life. There's a plan for every life. And our choices play a major role in that plan. Choices, yeah. Choices of our friends. I mean, I could talk about work and school and education and where you live and all, but I want to talk about the important things. The really important things. The eternally important things. Choices like the choice of your friends. The choice of how you spend your time. The choice of how you spend your money. The choice of how you spend your talents. The choice of how you spend your energies. Look, the plan that God has carved out for you may not, may not always be tear-free or pain-free. What say you? Have you noticed that already? Hey, i got to remind you of Moses. You say, well, Moses really, really got away from God, and he really walked away from 
the intended plan. Look, God honored Moses by sending him to the highest school known to man, the graduate school of suffering. And it wasn't a four-year course, a three-year course, or a two-year course. It was a 40-year course followed by a second degree of another 40 years. And in so doing, God built a man, God built a hero, and God built a great national leader. Why? How? God took the negative, he can take yours, and he built it into positive. But we must accentuate the positive if we are to be positive. Another great Bible character was Hannah. Oh my, she was mocked, wasn't she? She was outcast from her own family and others that she loved. And what did she learn along that trail? She learned the valuable lesson of prayer. Maybe like nobody else. You see, the negative pushed the positive into action. I love that. The negative in Hannah's life pushed the positive into action. Maybe that's what we need to pray today. God, take the negative out of my life, push it out, and replace it with positive, and put me into action for you. Many years ago, many, many years ago, an artist took a paintbrush, painted a picture in only two colors, and he called the picture Arrangement of Gray and Black. Allegedly, the artist listened to a critic that couldn't even paint, didn't know a good painting from a good horse. So they threw the picture in a corner, and it gathered dust for many years. One day, someone saw the picture and offered to buy gray and black. Today, this painting is considered to be a masterpiece, and it has hung in many a museum in London in Paris, in Chicago, and in many other places around the world. The picture, maybe you know, has a new name, a different name. Now we know it as Whistler's Mother. Many, many copies have been made and sold over the years of that great painting. You see, what I pessimists saw as worthless, probably just a piece of junk, an optimist saw as valuable. And you're asking that, well, what made a difference in that painting? The difference between a dust catcher and a work of art. What was the difference? Here it is, here it is. Don't miss it. Seeing the value. Ah, ah, we are so quick, aren't we, to dispose of ideas, dispose of people, dispose of things that get in our way, rather than taking another look and looking for value, and adding value to another's life. When I think of seeing value, wow, you remember your mom's strawberry preserves? Do you remember your mother's strawberry rhubarb pie? I can taste it right now. I shouldn't even have brought it up. I shouldn't. I'm going to obsess on that all day. I'm going to salivate when I shouldn't. I'm not drooling. 
I'm just thinking of my mother and her strawberry rhubarb pie. Boy, talk about preserving a memory. Oh, what about her donuts? Fresh donuts, just sitting there on the counter. And as I walked in the room, I heard them like, Bob, 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 eat me, eat me, eat me. My mother preserved a lot of things, and she preserved some great menus, and she preserved some great recipes along her wonderful life. But you know what? God knows how to preserve his people. Come on, people. He knows how to preserve his people. I like what somebody said. God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. There's one for your mirror. Huh? God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. See, most of us, if we just get a little nudge, that's it, it's over. Don't pull anymore. It's not that important to me. Oh, well, I'm down the dump. Poor me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to sit on the curb and dangle my feet. Yeah. I'm going to eat worms and die. Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful because you might trip over your lip there. I, I, I just want to reverberate with the, with the psalmist who said, in essence, preserve us, O Lord. In other words, keep me when I am unkeepable. And teach me to never give up. And I could ask you the question, is there anything in your life or any time in your life where you just plain gave up too soon? Lord, keep me when I'm unkeepable and help me to never give up. So, so, so often, pessimism gets into our minds and into our lives and it rules us. Instead of looking at life and situations and decisions and things that are out in front of us and saying, I know God can... We turn that all around in our lives and we ask, can God? I wonder, can God? Oh God, if you can, don't, don't pray God if you can. There's no if to God. It's not can God. We need to turn that around and it needs to be God can. Let's say it all together. God can can, no matter what your situation, no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter why you're here today, no matter what you expected to hear, I know, a real sermon, but you're getting this instead. I just want to tell you up front, I don't even know your name maybe, whatever it is, God can. We're going to say it one more time so everybody can get in on it. God can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I want to ask you, is that in your attitude, my friend? Here's what I find. We want God, but we want Him our way. And that's when we need to learn to grow up. That's when we need to stand on our two feet and be the adults in the room that we are. Yeah, we want God, but we want God our way, on our timing, according to our plan. Oh, boy. We just want to do it all and then say, God, would you bless this? You don't want to pray, God, put me in a place 
and then bless whatever is going on in my life? No. You want to pray, God, put me in a place where you are blessing. I want to be where you're blessing. <laughs> in my life, I want to be where the blessing's pouring out. And I said choices, and I meant that a few minutes ago, because there are great consequences to our choices. Go ahead and criticize, go ahead and complain, go ahead and find fault. You'll find yourself pretty soon in a trap that you may not be able to get out of. And here's the problem again. We can't seem to see the consequences of our negative attitudes, not only in daily life, but also the consequences of the seeds that we might be sowing. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. This is where the sneaker hits the sidewalk right here. But what kind of seed we're sowing in the life of others? Because that stuff is contagious. I'm convinced of one thing, a pessimist never has a good time. If I only knew, how many of you ever said that? If I only knew, if I'd only known, if I only knew. Yep. If I knew it'd be the last time that I'd see you fall asleep, I would tuck you in more tightly and pray the Lord your soul to keep. If I knew it'd be the last time that I'd see you walk out the door, I'd give you a hug and kiss, call you back for one more. If I knew it'd be the last time I'd hear your voice lifted in praise, I'd video each action and word so I could play them back in future days. If I knew it'd be the last time I could spare an extra minute or two to stop and say I love you instead of assuming that you knew if I knew it would be the last time I'd be there to share your day, well, I'm sure you'll have so many more so I can let this one slip away. For surely there's always tomorrow to make up for an oversight, and we always get a second chance, right? To make everything all right. There will always be another day to say that I love you. And certainly there's another chance to say anything I can do. But just in case I might be wrong, and today is all I get, I'd like to say how much I love you and hope we never forget. I love you, church. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone, young or old alike. And today may be the last chance you hold your loved one tight. Friend, if you're waiting for tomorrow, why not do it today? For if tomorrow never comes, you'll surely regret the day. That you didn't take that extra time for a smile, a hug, a kiss.
And too busy to grant someone what would be their one last wish. So hold your loved ones close today. And whisper in their ear, better still, look them in the eye. And tell them how much you love them. And you'll always hold them dear. Take the time to say, I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Okay. And if tomorrow never comes, you won't regret today. Do not forget that you mean something to other people. I want to repeat that. Do not ever forget that you mean something to other people. Make sure you're choosing to take the time, yes, time, 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 to tell others you love them, for tomorrow may never come. Scripture is very clear. There's a, a, a verse that I quote a lot. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We all woke up this morning, or some are in the process now. They've had their coffee. Start of the day, had your plans. You don't have no idea what the day brings. None. I don't. None. Nobody should boast themselves of tomorrow. People say, well, I'm going to do this next week, and tomorrow I'm going. And I always say, Lord willing. Lord, I used to close my letters, DV, DM Volante. Uh, if the Lord wills, we'll see you then. But don't boast of tomorrow, because you don't know what a day brings forth. One time a little child asked, well, what would be the greatest sins? And the adult in the room pulled up very quickly and said, the greatest sins are pessimism and procrastination, and here's why. Thinking you have plenty of time to do what you have to do, and, but waiting for a more convenient time. Boy, that's pretty good advice. It's not biblically centered, but it's great advice. Someone said, you and I are heading towards death at uh, 60 minutes an hour. That's fast. Oh, oh, you think that's fast? How about 1,440 minutes a day? That's even more like it. See what you're doing today? You're building tomorrow's memories. See what the tears are doing? They're adding to that building. I think they might be the mortar that holds it all together. They're very precious in the sight of God, by the way. Some people go, oh, I think I'm going to cry. Oh, yeah, I almost shed it at one tear when you were preaching. I know my preaching's bad, but you can, you can shed more tears than that. God has numbered your tears. He knows every tear. One place it tells us that he keeps them in a bottle, and I think they're going to be crystallized gems when we get to heaven. We try to gain control of this life. And here's how we do it. Here's usually how we do it. Just nod your head if you're with me. We usually gain control in our life by forcing things on other people or forcing our expectation on other people. A yes or a no would be great. Yes? Yeah. And I, I, I had to think about this, and I, I wrote some stuff here, but I, I just want to share what I was thinking. We force ourselves on others when we can't, even handle ourselves. Just listen to me. I'm not a wise man. You know, they say age and wisdom. Well, I got the age piece, but we're still praying for the wisdom to drop down. But 
I, he, you know, we gain control and we force other people, and then we get mad if they don't fall in line. And we can't even handle ourselves. We haven't handled a lot of the stuff I've talked about already this morning. We haven't mastered that yet. <laughs> you see, what you love, what you love, you'll find time for. What do you love? Show me how you spend your time. There are many spouses and many children dying for the acceptance and, pro- and approval of somebody. Someone said well, you should offer 10 praise reports for every one negative report. Write that down. We should offer 10 praise reports for every one negative report. And after a while, you know what? The negative reports, they'll be, they'll be passe. We watch our pennies and we kill our time. We treat each other like there'll be no tomorrow. Shame on us. We will give an account. We are building something today for tomorrow. Tomorrows at best are limited in number. And some of us in this room have way, way more yesterdays than we do tomorrows. Think about it. A man wrote this. I believe he was a pastor. He said, I never kissed a stone till my mother died. Now, mom's blanket is the sod. Grass is her bedspread. Oh, oh, I wish I'd hugged her more. I'm here to tell you something in 2022. Somewhere within your reach and mine, there's a forgotten older person in a nursing home or a rest home somewhere. Somewhere there's a husband who's bitter and cold and confused and hurt. Somewhere there's a wife and mama who's lonely and overwhelmed and disappointed and can't get it together, and if she got it together, she'd forget where she put it. I mean, that kind of thing. And oh, God knows this. I believe it's breaking his heart. There's a child somewhere whose home is in tatters. He doesn't even know his parents. He doesn't know what's going on in life. He, doesn't, he can't get the answer to any questions. And why is just not there? Why? Why? I wonder who among us will love enough to point these dear ones and to show them the cross of Jesus Christ. Interesting, Jesus speaking to a disciple and he said, do you love me? And the answer was, yes, you know I love you. Do, do, you, do you? That was what Jesus asked. Do you love me? I don't know what the person thought or any people thought who heard Jesus say that. But once the answer came, here's what Jesus said. Here was his answer. Then feed the lambs. Feed the little ones. Feed the sheep. Give. Give. What does that mean? Give more. Do more. Sacrifice more. Love more. Care more. Be more. Do you love me, Jesus is asking you? Then feed the lambs, the little ones. 
Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses asked the Lord this, Teach us to number our days. Wow. Teach us to number our days. In other words, not how many days in our life, but how much life in our days. Huh? What's the purpose? What's the life really adding up to? And he said, Lord, teach us. Lord, teach us. And he will. Father, make us feeders. Heavenly Father, make us givers. Make us lovers. Make us doers. And so I ask you, what kind of memories are you building today? What kind of memory are you going to build today? Will you get out of your personal space box for your own family? For the church? For Jesus? Oh, the miserable trap we build for ourselves. That must be broken if we are to see our spirit free to focus and accentuate the positive. Well, there he stood. In the midst of the Golden Corral restaurant with about two gallons of Thousand Island dressing dripping from his hair over his glasses, down his face, and all over his jacket, his pants, and his shoes. For a service person had been struck from behind by the swinging door, which activated the launch of the salad dressing all over this guy. And almost immediately, he went ballistic. This happened to us one time. Two of us got the honor of being baptized in dressing. It wasn't dressing. It was that uh, gooey stuff they put over top of the, uh, of the blooming onion. So we got the onion and all that fried critter stuff that it's cooked in and all the cream all over our clothes. Mm. We never saw that waiter again. I mean, he didn't even come back to wait on us. But he got the biggest tip that probably any waiter in that restaurant had ever gotten. Why? I just believe when you're outside of this building that you ought to tell your mind and your mouth that as a child of God, you have a responsibility. To do what? To be a child of God. Someone said, how do you tip? I always tip at a restaurant, and when I get bad service, I tip more. Well, I would never do that. No, you wouldn't. Because you've never thought it through. But there's a reason you got bad service. And if I can encourage somebody that way, I'm going to do it. So this guy went ballistic, and he cursed, and he shouted, and he called the girl everything, including stupid. Happened to be on a Sunday afternoon, and when I read the story, I was thinking, I wonder if the man had been to church and heard a sermon about love that day. Not only did this man need a change of clothes, he needed a change of attitude. The world owes you nothing. Other people owe you nothing. The young man poured out his heart's devotion on paper. Another young man, this guy's my favorite. 
And as he wrote to the girl of his dreams, the words just started coming. They were flowing. Darling, darling, darling. I would climb the highest mountain, swim the widest stream, and cross the burning desert and die at the stake for you. P.S. I'll see you on Saturday if it doesn't rain. One thing is badly needed in our culture, and it's needed in many, many churches. Hear me. That's a change in attitude. We need to continually change our attitude from one of negativity and criticism to a positive attitude of encouragement. Not only do we need a change in attitude, but also we need a change in our actions. So you're in another restaurant. See a man sitting there at the table. He ordered a steak. Oh, man, I've been with so many people who are like this over my years. It just drives my nerves out the window. He was rather obnoxious about complaining uh, to the waitress. Steak's too rare. Now it's a burnt crisp. Now it's too tough. Out of the baked potato had a black spot. Look at this potato. It's a bad potato. Look at it. Waitress walks over, leans down towards the table, and said, Bad potato! <laughs> Picks up the potato off his plate and goes, Bad, 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 bad potato! As she spanked it. Put it back on the plate and said, Now, if you have any more trouble with that potato, just let me know. <laughs> Being a church-going Christian is not a spectator sport. Yet people are often like the man in the restaurant. They expect everything done exactly your way or his way to his satisfaction. Well, in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells us not to think like the world thinks. Think God's way. Do things God's way. Do things in a spiritual way. Do all to the glory of God. So I encourage those of you who truly want to have a closer walk with our Lord. Think about it. A more spiritually enriched experience. To just gather with each other frequently. To pray with and for each other. To listen for the voice of God on purpose. And to seek to become the disciples Jesus is calling us to be. But please, 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 don't copitude. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word and just the truth of the Proverbs that we read and the experiences that we have shared. And Lord, we're thankful today for this opportunity just to, just to go deeper into your word and, and, to, and to be able to take something from here that we can apply to our lives in everyday living. Lord, we know we have a responsibility because we're your children. 
And we want to go into this world and make a difference. Lord, help it to be so. Encourage those that are discouraged this morning. Bring those that are seeking you, Lord. Bring them closer to you. And for those who name the name of Christ, I pray that they'll be renewed in spirit and refreshed to serve you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.